Jesus, talking to the disciples, says these words. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And what's he talking about going to the Father? So they were saying amongst themselves, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you're asking yourselves, what I mean by saying, A little while and you will not see me again, and a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, and the world will rejoice. It's quite a shocking thing. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for a joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now. But I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I said you whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. (coughs) Sorrowful yet rejoicing. Anguished yet certainty in the room. O gracious Lord, who is equal to these things? To the precious truths of your revealed word that tell us of Jesus? But we know that you send your Holy Spirit, as we heard last week, to guide us into all truth, to show us what this has to say to us. So Holy Spirit, come and take the preacher and hide him behind the Lord Jesus. It's him we want to meet with. It's him we want to hear from. It's him we want to see. No human is worth that. Give us ears to hear what you're saying to us, Lord, for your people open their hearts and their mouths and their ears. And if there's any here who do not know you this morning, Lord, who feel like the disciples, confused and wondering what it's all about. May you reveal yourself to them, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In many ways, you could have cut the atmosphere with a knife. I don't know if you've ever been in a room or a situation or a discussion with family members or something, and the room is just really, really tense. Perhaps it was yesterday when Scotland were playing wheels and the room was really tense. But you've all been there in all seriousness, haven't you? (coughs) Tension, heartache. There's something about grief too that just exacerbates all those feelings. And perhaps then you can understand this portion of scripture which is given to us as we've been going through these past couple of weeks on the last night of Jesus' life. As he's gathered firstly with the 12 apostles and then one betrays them, Judas. So now there's the 11 of them in this upper room, this apostolic band with Jesus in the center, but he keeps saying strange things to them. He keeps talking about the fact that he's going to die. And he's very certain about this. He knows that he's going to die. And it's not because he's morbid. It's not because he's got some sort of suicide wish. No, he knows in the purpose of God that he's going to the cross. The shadow of the cross hangs over these conversations. He has said some amazing truths, some beautiful promises that actually if he goes, somebody greater than him will come. That if he goes, their joy will be complete. That as he goes, he will leave them a gift of peace that surpasses all understanding, not as the world gives, but as he 
gives. And their minds must have been confused. They must have been wrestling. Like, what is this all about? What is this all about? Perhaps you yourself are here this morning. And you've heard in the background about somebody called Jesus. You have a a vague idea about God. And you yourself are wondering, what is this all about? Take heart. The founders of the early church asked the same questions. Perhaps you're here too this morning and you're wrestling with grief. You're wrestling with sorrow. You've tried to follow Jesus for many years, but it just seems sometimes to be so difficult to follow him. So hard to follow him. Sorrow keeps coming against you. Heartache keeps coming against you. You've grown tired. You've grown weary. You've grown dislocated. Again, friends, take heart. Verses 16 to 18 show us here that the founders of the early church, the apostles, the ones sitting in Jesus' presence, have felt exactly the same way. And if we go through the scripture, I was just leafing through my Bible there in the last song. I was remembering Psalm 42, that beautiful psalm. I mean, it may surprise you that this psalm is in the Bible, but David, the great king of Israel, writes this psalm, Why are you cast down, O my soul, within me? Why are you in turmoil? Friend, if you feel anguish, if you feel confusion, if you feel weary, if you feel like you're holding on just by the bareness of your fingertips to the Lord this morning, take heart. The apostles have been there. The saints throughout the history of the church have been there. Do you have questions? Jesus can handle them. Do you have emotions? Strange thing to talk about on a Sunday morning, isn't it? Do you have emotions? Jesus can handle them too. Do you have uncertainty? Do you feel like the ground beneath you has given way? Take heart. So what do we do with this confusion? What do we do with this heartache? Do we do what the apostles do in verse 16, the 18? I mean, I I love this scene. I love the humanity of them here. They've got a problem. What do they do? They form a committee and start discussing it. Isn't that great? Look at it here. A little while you will see me no more, and a little while you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what's he talking about? What's he mean? What's he going on about? Let's all talk to each other instead of asking Jesus. Have you ever been in that situation? What was it somebody once said, that the camel is a horse designed by Camilla? They turn to each other. They seek the answers from each other, but sometimes that doesn't work. Sometimes the questions are so profound, the need so deep, the heart so broken, that there is only one person we can turn to. There is only one person who will give us certainty. There is only one person who steps out, we sung it there, that comes running to us with his unimpeachable beauty and majesty and draws us near with nail-scarred hands. Turn to Jesus. Ask him. Jesus sits in the middle of the room, they discuss his words, they argue over his words, and they don't turn to ask him. Christian friend, this morning, are you in confusion? Are you in sorrow? Are you in heartache? Are you worried and anxious? When was the last time you turned to Jesus and talked to him? Last week, we looked at the remarkable thing where he shows that he is there for them. 
There for them in prayer, there for them as the vine in which the fruit abides in an intimate and powerful way. Christian friend, if you believe in the Lord Jesus, if you've confessed your sins, repented and are following him and been born again to that new and living hope, Christ is in you and he is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never look at you in disgust and go, oh, for goodness sake. He will draw you near. He will speak, as we shall see very shortly, to your sorrow. He shall deal with your sin. He shall build you up into his likeness. He is there. I remember being in Galway once. Galway is in Ireland on the west coast. It's uh, one of the most beautiful cities in the world, I think, and I'm not working for the tourist board. And I remember sitting in the cafe and having a cup of tea, and I love this. There was a wee sugar pot. I'm going somewhere with this, don't worry. There was a wee sugar pot in front of me, and for some reason in this sugar pot, I don't know who ever had this bright idea, but they put, it's, they put wonderful sayings in the sugar. So as you're breaking your sugar, there's these wise and profound sayings like, you know, I don't know, always sunshine when it's raining or something like that. But the one I picked out was one that I loved. and I can't remember what the Irish was, but it basically says this, God's help is closer than the door. God's help is closer than the door. This morning, we have wonderful friends and we have wonderful family and it's great that we have fellowship. But sometimes, brothers and sisters, we cannot do what the apostles do and talk amongst ourselves. We need to turn to the one who addresses us from the heart, to our creator, our savior, and our redeemer. Ask Jesus, turn to him this morning. He is the one who heals the brokenhearted, who binds up the wounds. He is the one who has compassion on us when we're lying at the side of the road, broken beyond repair, as we see in the parable of the Good Samaritan. He is the one who speaks certainty into uncertainty. He is the one who reveals truth to us. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's a startling and true claim. And one which is well for us to listen to. So Jesus says, ask me, verse 19 to 22, we get to the heart of the text today. Let us see what Jesus says. Look at verse 19 there. They were, or verse 18, sorry. They were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We don't know what he's talking about. And then verse 19, I love this. Have you ever wondered what this text means? Jesus knew what they wanted to ask him, so he said to them. Just a wee aside here. I do like a wee aside now and then. Wee aside here. What do you think that means? Jesus knew they wanted to ask him. Somebody speak to me. Ah, oh, it's all right. It's okay. You can be quiet. What does he mean? Is it like that scene? Because in John chapter 2, remember when he calls one of the early apostles, he saw him through the divine knowledge in his head, sitting under the fig tree far away. Is this a supernatural revelation? I don't think so. How many of you are good at reading people's expressions? Yeah. Body language, sort of seeing what's happening. If somebody's in tears, what does that mean? Happy, Happy Barnabas. You maybe need to go and do some more. They could be happy, that's true, Barnabas. Generally, if somebody's in tears, they're sad. If somebody's smiling, happy. there we go. That wasn't too complicated, was it? I honestly think when it says here, and I do say this as an aside because it's important, Jesus knows them. He's able to read their facial I'm not taken away from his divinity. He could fully, he does know what's in their hearts. But I honestly think this text is written here to show us actually Jesus could see their distress. Jesus knew them. He had lived with them. He had fought with them. He had taught with them. He had ate with them for three solid years. 
he knew them. And Hebrews picks up this thing. And again, brothers and sisters, just for your encouragement as we come to ask him, as we know him, the Lord knows you. Psalm 139, he knew you when he formed you and knitted you together in your mother's womb. All your days are written in his book. All your tears are counted up and kept in his bottle. God, the Lord, the one who is majestic and holy and powerful and sovereign and great, who has made the stars, Psalm 8, who are you, O Lord, yet through all this that you are mindful of us? God isn't some distant deity. He's not like other revealed or so-called religions that say he's an inapproachable majesty and we can't come to him. No, no. The God of the Bible, the creator, is the redeemer who knows you. He knew them. He knew they wanted to ask him. I mean, people ask me, why do we bother praying? Here's the answer. It's, it, <laughs> have you ever been to a prayer meeting where people tell God what to do? It does make me laugh. And I've been to prayer meetings. And I'm sorry, I'm not getting on anyone. I've done, I mean, I've done it myself. You know, you sit there and you go, Lord, well, you know about the situation about we see thee up the road. And we see thee lives in number 10, Lord. And you know, have you ever been to a prayer meeting like that? Or should you tell them, God? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> That'll be me in trouble later. We pray and communicate to the Lord for our sake, for our building up for our encouragement, for our asking him to move in the world. The primary reason we pray again is not to tick some box, but to have fellowship with the living, risen Lord Jesus. Isn't that an amazing thing? And look how close and intimate he is to them here. How many of you are going to go, who's been to London here? I'm sure you've all been to London. And good job. A few of you have been to London. Anyone here ever been to Buckingham Palace? One or two. Well, I think I'm going to go to London tomorrow and I'm going to go to Buckingham Palace and I'm going to stand at the gate and say to the soldier, excuse me, but I want to have a cup of tea with the king. <laughs> what do you think is going to happen to me? <laughs> Especially with my accent as well. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, I'll get bailed out. Thank you, all. that's very kind of you. You won't get to him, will you? If you're important in this world, your importance is numbered by how many sort of people you have around you, isn't it? If I went and wanted to approach the king, I'd have to go to some secretary, then some other secretary, then I'd have to speak to Sir Humphrey, and then maybe eventually I would get to the PA. You're measured by how many rings you have around you. And you get that in business too, don't you? CEOs, how many of you want to talk to CEO? You have to go through all these different lines. Oh, brothers and sisters, this morning, we have one who knows us. We sung in the song, face to face with love himself. And we don't have to go through a mediator. We don't have to go through flunkies. When you are received into God's family, you're given the spirit of adoption to cry, Abba, Father. What's the point in prayer? <laughs> Talk to your heavenly Father. They come to Jesus with their questions. They come to Jesus with their worries. They come to Jesus with all this. He draws it out of them. And then he says these remarkable words from in verse 19 to 22. Is this what you're asking yourselves, what I mean by saying? And thousands of commentators join Jesus in saying, Amen. What do you mean, Lord? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. But the world will rejoice. 
Somebody once said that actually these three verses are the compression of all that Jesus has said before, so we will unpack that. But the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Your sorrow will turn into joy. We're approaching Easter, the most central point of the Christian calendar, the most central point of our faith where Christ goes to the cross to die for the sins of the world to take the judgment of God upon himself that we deserve, to redeem and renew us. We remember that in the day that is called Good Friday. And Good Friday is a solemn day. It is a good day because we get our redemption through Christ's death on the cross, but it's a solemn day. And then we go through onto Easter Sunday. How many of us love Easter Sunday? It's a brilliant day. I love it as we crack out the, the guitars or whatever it is we sing and sing, Christ the Lord is risen today. Hallelujah. See what a morning gloriously bright with the dawning of hope in Jerusalem. We love those two days. Yet how many of us enjoy Easter Saturday? The day in between. Anyone, is that their favorite day? You don't like it, Joseph? So, pass it? Solemn. Oh, solemn. Solemn, Joseph. Thank you. Solemn. It's a strange day, isn't it? You're between Good Friday, where the cross has happened, the divine work has happened, he's died. The curtain's been torn in two. The potential is there. You're not quite at Sunday where the hope of the resurrection floods into the world. Instead, there's this day in between. Keep that in your heads a second. The second illustration that Jesus used here is a common one from the Old Testament. Now, it may surprise you to know that I have never been pregnant. And I don't expect to be either or something's gone far wrong. But I'm told that pregnancy isn't a pleasant experience. There's swollen feet, there's bumps, there's aches, there's pains, there's cravings, there's all sorts of things. But when a baby's born, and if all is well, and we pray for those sometimes where it's not the case, but if all is well, the delight and joy in a mother's face when they see their baby, and you try and get it off them. I'm sure, I'm sure as a midwife, Sue, you've had to sort of pull a baby out of more to do the checks. The delight that's there, it's life-centered into the world. Pain, joy, cross, resurrection. What about the in-between part? Because that's what Jesus is talking to the disciples about now. And this has relevance for us, brothers and sisters, because we live after Easter. We know that Christ is risen. He has come back from the dead alive forevermore. And friend, if you've never been to church before and you're wondering who Jesus is, let me tell you the fact that he has come back from the dead alive forevermore with incontestable proofs tells you that he is somebody you should look to. He is somebody you should ask about. He is alive. He has ascended into heaven. And there is promises of his coming again in the new heavens and the new earth. We have a hope. And we don't talk about it enough in the church sometimes. I don't know if we're scared to or if we think, oh, well, it's not happened yet. But Jesus is coming again. And he is bringing the new heavens and the new earth. One day, cancer will be no more. Sorrow will be no more. Pain will be more. Death will be no more. These promises are unspeakably true in the Word of God, and it is coming. It is coming. But how many of you got up this morning with a sore knee? How many of you woke up this morning and said, Oh Lord, why could the clock not be three hours earlier so I could sleep more? How many of you woke up this morning sorrowful, worried about family members? Praying for those who don't know the Lord, but you would delight for them to know the Lord because in knowing him, they will have life and joy and freedom. 
Jesus is very realistic in the Bible. When you come to know Christ, there is joy, there is peace, there is forgiveness, but we still live in a broken and fallen world. We are not where we were. We are not where we will be. We are in between. And that's what Jesus is teaching the apostles here. There is a debate when he says, a little while and I will see you, and a little while I'll see you again. Is he talking about the cross and the resurrection? Most likely in this context. But it also too could mean, all realistically, that he's also talking about the period between when he goes up to the Father and when he comes again. And he's preparing them for sorrow to come. He is preparing them for difficult times. And the Bible is a very realistic book. It tells us of sorrow. It tells us of heartache. You read the prophecies of Isaiah. It talks again about a woman who is pregnant, longing for the baby to come out. And one day she will. The child will come. You read the Bible. You read Jesus himself. He talks about how to follow him is life, is forgiveness, is joy. But you have to count the cost. A few weeks ago, Barnabas looked at the section where Jesus said, if you love me and you follow me in the world, you will have persecution. You will have difficulty. He's not hiding that in the small print. How many of you have ever signed a contract? Contracts are awful things, aren't they? You've got this about 60 pages of contract. You just want to sign the thing to get rid of it, don't you? But there's usually something hidden in the small print, isn't there? Does anyone here work for insurance? (laughs) Praise God. Insurance companies are the worst at it as well. Jesus doesn't hide these things in the small print. He tells us we will have sorrow in this world. Sorrow as we see loved ones die. Sorrow as we change life circumstances, we're called a new area and we say goodbye and we we have the uncertainty of not knowing what's happened. Sorrow as illness takes hold. We will have sorrow. But, but, we always have Jesus. And even though the world rejoices, and we see this in Revelation chapter 12, where John has that vision of the dragon coming to persecute the church, he is rageful. Know his word, brothers and sisters. Know there will be times of difficulty. Know the times in which we live. We live in Easter Saturday. We're in the in-between times. We have the hope. We have the promises. As Hebrews 11 tells us, faith is the conviction of things not seen, the certainty of hope to come. We have that, but we live in difficult times. We walk through the valley of deepest darkness. But we need fear no evil. Why? For he is with us. Jesus was preparing the apostles for one day without him here, in the in-between stage. But as he goes to the cross and rises from the grave again, we know after last week, and if if you missed last week, read back over John's gospel there, he sends one who is a helper who will always be with us and give us the hope and faith of the promises. Know his word. Know there is difficult times. Know the times. We are in the in-between stage. Romans 8, all of creation is groaning for him to come. Psalm 30, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy does come in the morning. Count the cost. Realistically assess the word of God as it shows us that, yes, we will encounter difficult. I mean, look at the Apostle Paul. I mean, if Paul was a travel agent, don't go with him. Shipwrecked three times. Whipped and beaten. Lost, stoned, attacked. I mean, it wasn't an easy ministry for Paul, was it? Read 2 Corinthians. Perplexed, but not knocked out. Down, but not finished. Crushed, but not forsaken. 
Jesus tells us wisely, brothers and sisters, you will have sorrow in this world. There's my positive message for you this morning. But you will always have Jesus. And you will have Jesus, the one who turns our sorrow into joy, who gives us beauty for ashes, who binds up our wounds and gives us his eternal, unspeakable hope and peace communicated through the Holy Spirit. So even though the Lord bless and gives or takes away, what will we do? We will bless his name. And all this is rooted and grounded. Our hope, our certainty, our joy in difficult times is rooted and grounded in the resurrection. Look at verse 22 there. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the day where you will see Jesus face to face? When I stand in glory, I shall see him face to face. Have you ever thought about that? You will. If you trust in Christ, you will see him face to face one day. How it's going to be, I don't know. There's a song that was out for a few years ago. It was a very 90s song. Remember the 90s where you had the, the smoke screens and the guitars and all that? But the truth was really good. Imagine. One day I shall stand in his presence. What shall I do? Shall I, shall I praise him there? Shall I dance or shall I fall before him in worship? We will see the nail-scarred hands. Proof of our forgiveness and our redemption. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious salt. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, O oh, my soul. We shall have run the race. And we shall hear from his lips, please God, the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. How many of you want to hear that? I... That's all I want to hear from him. Well done, good and faithful servant. We will see him face to face. And whilst we will be overcome by his majesty, I mean, if you read the Bible, when, people, when, when Jesus shows up in his post-resurrected state, people fall down as low dead. Paul fell off his horse. John falls down in the bank. We will be overcome by majesty. But I love that scene in Daniel where Daniel falls at his feet and the hand is laid on him and says, Daniel, greatly beloved, the Lord looking for you. We shall see love face to face and our hearts will fill with joy. This is actually a direct quotation from Isaiah 66, verse 14, which talks about the Messianic age, when hearts will be filled with joy. Your hearts will rejoice. I'm glad you all got the coughs out there. It was a good time. Your hearts will rejoice. You don't look very rejoiceful. He's all right. In that day, your hearts will rejoice. And no one, no one will take your joy from you. There is sorrow in this world. There is longing for that day when we will see him face to face. And yet, as we'll see later on in the next couple of weeks, he does leave us joy. In verse 33 there in chapter 16, Barnabas looks at us next week for us. He ends by saying, take heart, I have overcome the world. His joy is with us. He is with us. We'll have sorrow. We'll have questions. Turn, ask him. Go to the Lord Jesus this morning. Open your heart to him. 
He is here through the power of his Holy Spirit. Christian, if you're struggling, know his word. Know there is difficult times, but know the rich promises that he is there to get you through it. When your soul is cast down again, Psalm 42, hope again in the Lord. Pray. Come to him in prayer. Every single Christian can pray. I've shared with you before about a lady I knew. She was a missionary in Portugal, and she had a really difficult time in Portugal. She just, it was a hard climate. It was a hard environment. She, she planted three churches. They grew to the massive dazzling heights of 40 people each. She gave her whole life to it. Give up marriage, give up everything, went to Portugal. In fact, I think when she first went, she took her coffin with her. I mean, that's what they did in those days. Had a difficult ministry. Came back home to Northern Ireland to retire. She was put into a nursing home because she had a debilitating stroke. She was able to talk, she was able to pray. And then she had a second stroke, which paralyzed her completely. And I remember walking into her room to see her. I, I don't know how I got my granny. My granny was one of those ladies. You know, grandmothers are remarkable people, aren't they? They're like the yellow pages. And she had this connection with this lady. And she brought me into her just to hear her story and stuff. And I remember walking into that room. The presence of the Lord was there. As I went up to her bed, I did not encounter any self-pity, any anger, any sense of disappointment. She looked me in the eye and said, first thing she said to me, lovely to see you, how can I pray for you? She said it through slurred words, but she did say it. And that's what she committed herself to do, was praying all she could do was pray, and by gum, she prayed. And I can tell you this because he's gone now, but at one point, she had Ian Paisley as first minister, and she was praying for him. And she had me and 17 year old spotty kid from Bible. She was praying, and both of us got prayed for the same. Pray. Pray at your homes. Pray as a church family. Pray that we would support and sustain each other, bring each other to the Lord. That gets us through sorrow as well. Root and ground yourself in the truth of the resurrection. Come to the Lord's Supper and remind yourselves again of his promises, how we are forgiven, how he will come again. And go out there with his hope. One of my joys as pastor is to stand and watch you guys encourage each other. And there's something about encouraging somebody else that lifts you out of yourself, doesn't it? Encourage each other. Rally together. Have your questions, come to him. Know the word, know the times, know him in your heart, trust in him, and keep on going. Keep on going. Hebrews 10, verse 19, 23 tells us how we have a great high priest who loves us, sympathizes with us, and keeps us. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, I love this. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Keep going. Keep trusting. Keep loving. Keep praying. Verse 23, 24 as we close. Look here at the remarkable assurance we have when we come to him in prayer. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, when Jesus says truly, truly, he underlines the point. This is something he wants us to really listen to. I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Let me just add a caution here. This is not like the song, Oh Lord, won't you give me a mercy of these bends? This prayer comes out of the context of what's went before. If you're abiding in him, if you're loving him, if you're serving him, your heart and your desires are for him and his work. So when you pray for his work, he will answer it. When you pray for his love, he will give it. When you pray for his joy, 
he will pour it out on you. Have you ever read the prayers of Paul? How many of us struggle to pray? Or what to pray for sometimes? You ever, ever find yourself praying and you, you sort of go through the wee circle? And isn't it amazing that God hears those prayers anyway? It's the heart behind it. But if you're ever struggling to pray, let me encourage you to do this. We might do it as a church sometime, is to go through the prayers of Paul. You've heard me quote it many times, Ephesians 3, verse 13, not 13, that's the wrong one, 14, thank you, love, to 21. See how Paul prays for the disciples and the church, that they would be rooted and grounded in the love of God. That they have strength with all the saints to comprehend just how marvelous that love is. And they pray to him who is able to do more than we could think, hope, or imagine, according to his power at work in the church. That's the sort of prayers the Lord is calling us to pray. There's a conference at NTM. You just shared there, Paul, about how there's three billion. Three billion people who have never heard the gospel. My goodness. I could barely keep track of all you lot. Three billion. That's a place for prayer. For us as a local church, what is your hope for this church? My hope is that we'll always keep Jesus as the center, but that we will see Lincoln reached for him. Please, thank you, Joseph, for saying amen. And I don't think that's because we have the strength to do it. But we pray to the one who is able to do more than we could think, hope, or imagine. When did we stop trusting God for these things? And I say that to myself. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. James tells us we have not because we ask not. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. If you've got questions this morning, look to Jesus. He is unique. He is God's revelation. If you've got sorrow or you're going through sorrow, brother and sister, we will come beside you and pray and love you. But know that he is the one that turns sorrow into joy. Know his word, know the times, know him. And root that the unbounded joy we have in his resurrection and his new heavens and new earth that is coming. Keep on going. Don't give up. Don't give up, brothers and sisters. Keep on going as he runs the race with us. And turn that to prayer for each other and prayer for this area. Ask him. As I close, let me read you the words of a man who was present that night that Jesus gave this talk. And this is written, we reckon, at the end of his life under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is the Apostle Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Hope rooted in the resurrection. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfeeling, kept in heaven for you. Easter Sunday. Who, in the present, by God's power, are being guarded through faith. So he is guarding you for a salvation that will be revealed in the last days. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various sorrows or trials. This tests your faith to show that it is more precious than gold and it may result in praise to the honour and glory at the revelation of Jesus. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let us pray.
the thousands of hymns that have been written. We see in those words how they fail to grasp your majesty. You are truly majestic, O Lord. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You spoke. Your very breath caused creation to come into being. The blazing intensities of the solar system, the vastness thereof, the brightness of the stars, you made all this. You made us. We acknowledge before you this morning that we would not be here unless you created us. We would not be sustained unless you give us breath. But not only did you make us, you pursued us when we rebelled against you, when we shook our fists in your face and said, Lord, we know what we're doing, go away. And we confess what a hash we've made of it, what a brokenness we've made of it. And in that, you did not give up. You did not wipe us out. You pursued us with your dear, beloved son. And when we nailed him to the cross, when we rebelled against him in that final act, through that you saved and redeemed the world. For truly he has borne our sins, our sorrows, our griefs. We esteemed him not. He was a man full of sorrow. And yet for us he was wounded. For us he was bruised, for us he was crushed, that we might know the peace of the Lord. And three days later he walked out of that tomb alive forevermore. Death is power shattered, sin shattered, Satan muzzled, heaven opened, and hell rescued from. Jesus, we love you. And we thank you for the love that you have for us. And this morning, I pray, as we gather with our sorrows, with our anxieties and our worries, we're thankful that you're mindful of them because you care for us. My head can't get round that, but your word tells me it's true. So I pray for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for us as a fellowship. We pray for those who are grieving today, for those who have lost friends and loved ones this past week, Pray for Dorothy's family and for Stephen. We pray for those in our midst who are worried about family, whose family are in hospital, who have uncertainty, who have unemployment situations. Oh Lord, in a congregation of size, there is so much. Do you know each one? And as that sorrow is working its way through, so too you come with your joy and you walk alongside us as a good shepherd. So may you encourage my brothers and sisters this morning. And if there's any in our midst who do not know you, oh Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you, as Peter said, cause them to be born again to a new and living hope. If they feel you wooing them and drawing them now, may they surrender to you and say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. For to know you is life, to know you is forgiveness, to know you is love. So make yourself known, Lord Jesus, I pray. And in all this, we give you thanks. In your name. Amen. Last well, worship team to cup as we sing our closing song.